StatsCast. Hi, I'm Damon Hart-Davis, and welcome to EarthNotes podcast on all things eco and green and efficient at home. 9th October 2020 for stats from July to September. Turn of the month update of home energy and related stats and poking at data from 16WW and beyond. Here's two mystery sounds to keep you guessing until later. And... Sixteen WW Energy Stats. Key monthly stats are weather, heating degree days, electricity consumption, and gas. Heating degree days, as used for sixteen WW with a base temperature of twelve degrees C, are nothing special for the three months compared to previous years. Interestingly, July accrued more than one heating degree day, which hadn't happened since two thousand and eight. Not quite evidence of global cooling, though. In line with more normal weather, PV generation was in normal ranges too, with September at 13 kWh per day, for example. Electricity and gas consumption had risen a little under lockdown, but with both kids back at school full-time in September, demand is largely back to normal at about 5 kWh and 4 kWh per day, respectively. Demand didn't dip as much as usual, though, this August, since instead of a fortnight away, we took a single-week ucation in Weymouth. The N-phase battery and PV did their jobs, and there was no electricity imported in our absence, along with no gas burnt, as expected. This reveals true baseline energy draw, with an empty house ticking over, of somewhat under 2 kWh per day of gross electricity use, over half being the fridge-freezer. The shoulder months, such as September and March, could make good use of an additional 1 kilowatt hour or 270 watts of Enphase ACB to improve self-consumption and reduce grid flows with their attendant losses. I hope to simulate that to see what difference it would make and trade off against standing losses of the additional unit. See the Saving Electricity and Gas 2020 page on earth.org.uk for the complete month-by-month breakdown. A new paper... Providing Decent Living with Minimum Energy, a Global Scenario, suggests final energy for decent living, DLE, in 2050 of about 4 megawatt hours per person per year, which is not hair shirt stuff, but for example includes 50 litres of clean water supplied per day per person, with 15 litres heated to a comfortable bathing temperature, an air temperature of around 20 degrees C throughout the year, irrespective of geography, a computer with access to global ICT networks, linked to extensive transport networks providing 5,000 to 15,000 kilometres of mobility per person each year via various modes, universal healthcare, education for everyone between 5 and 19 years old, and so on. At 16WW, the direct energy demand for the four of us, ignoring PV generation, is about 2 megawatt-hours per year electricity and 3 megawatt-hours per year of gas, higher in colder years. With PV, those net out to about zero. Maybe all our stuff and food and travel and internet etc. does fit within 4 megawatt-hours per year each. Are we living a sustainable 2050 life in some aspects already?
Lockdown shopping. Some of that future DLE mobility would likely be used for shopping. The who knows what 2050s will be like. The shopping experience for customers and retailers has been changing significantly this year. In April, Statcar, Sainsbury CEO, said that customers were coming less frequently and are buying about twice as much when they do come. Now, via HL and BBC, Tesco tells a similar story. Customers made fewer trips but bought more on each visit, with the average basket size increasing by 56%. And Tesco more than doubled delivery capacity to 1.5 million slots a week during the first half, including serving 674,000 vulnerable customers. Sound to light. In other episodes, I've turned data into sounds or pictures, e.g. graphs. Sonograms, a.k.a. spectrograms, show sounds as pictures. It's interesting how shuffling data around between our senses can help reveal interesting features. It turns out that 16WW is in a bit of a bat hotspot. Bats tend to flit around at twilight when we can't see them very well and make ultrasound that most humans can't hear. So to better understand bats, we transform what they do into a range that we can perceive. A bat detector will, as a minimum, usually shift the bat echolocation and social calls several tens of kilohertz down into adult human audibility. But these calls can also be shown as plots of amplitude and or frequency against time, which can help identify bats by species and how social or aggressive they are feeling. The pattern of peaks in the amplitude and characteristic streaks in the frequency plot provide many clues. It is also possible to plot the bat's movement over a map. Really clever bat detectors running on a powerful tablet can do more than one, e.g. plotting bat species and movements. Here is a short segment from the edge of the nearby Hogsmill River in its unglamorous urban concrete channel, where there seem to be two different bat species feeding, roughly first and second halves of the clip. Here is a minute of minute bats chat from the Hogsmill, just from the frequency division channel of the bat box duet, cleaned up with a 1500 Hz to 7500 Hz band pass filter.
all fascinating and I've only been paying serious attention to these creatures for about a month. I'm documenting what I see and hear and visualise on my Bats Around Our Home page. Mystery Noises Okay, I confess that the first mystery noise is a mystery to me too. I think that I activated the field recorder in my pocket by accident while walking through London. The second one you may now recognise as a bat, in this case a common pipistrelle I think, as bat detected from my front window by my desk just on the frequency division FD over 10 channel. There's more on my Earth Notes website at earth.org.uk.